Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm awfully glad we're going to have this time together. I hope your day's going well. I hope you've uh, had a good day at work. And if you're still there, that you're enjoying the work God's given you to do today. I feel pretty lucky to be here behind, pretty blessed to be behind this microphone and all, and spending this time with you. I'm going to have Rob Bluey come on the program in just a couple of minutes. You know him. He's my Tuesday regular guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. He's going to talk about what's going on in the world. He lives in Washington, D.C., so he's got his finger on the pulse of it. Then Dr. Heather Holloman's going to be joining me. She's written a book called Seated with Christ, Living Freely in a Culture of Comparison. She says, as Christians, we find ourselves trapped in a rhetoric of platform and influence and retweets and fame, and we need a ladder out of that fray. She's going to help us with that. And then the second hour, my friend and Bible mentor, Jeff Redorn, is going to be in studio, and you know what that means. It's going to be a great, lively hour. We're going to talk about 10 or seven essential verses every Christian should know. And he's brought some charts. I don't know if we're going to be sending them out, but that would mean that my whole night would be working on sending out charts. So we'll find out if we're going to send them out or not. But that's all ahead on our time together today. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for tuning in, choosing to listen to this. We'll be right back. In the midst of the hardest seasons, Faith Radio is committed to pointing you back to Jesus. In it together, Faith Radio. It's encouragement and hope for your daily journey. It is a joy to contribute. We're glad to participate knowing that the station continues to get better and better. It goes farther and farther, and we're just getting the good news out. So that's one of the major donations that we like to make, and we like to encourage people to do the same thing. We get far more out of it than we'd ever be able to put into it, I can assure you that. Thanks for being part of the family of Faith Radio. The broken record in me says it's Tuesday, and I always get happy when I know I get a chance to talk to Rob Bluey. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal, and The Daily Signal is an American political journalism news website, which was founded in 2014. It focuses on politics and policy and culture and offers political, brilliant, I might say, brilliant political commentary from a a conservative perspective, and Rob is the executive director. Rob, welcome, as always. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be back today. Thank you so much. So... So kids are going back to school. Are they getting a little shock when they uh, when they go to orientation and, and see what's on their name tags? 
Well, at least at Virginia Tech, that seems to be the case, Bill. And uh, we carried the story on the Daily Signal. Encourage your listeners to check it out. It is quite remarkable to hear what's going on uh, on college campuses today. I feel very fortunate that uh, that I didn't have to necessarily go through any of these uh, extravagant orientation programs uh, back in uh, my day attending college. But apparently things are quite different, including uh, one of the first things that you encounter is your preferred pronoun. And so uh, on the name badge, not only does it include your, your name, as you would expect, to, but underneath it, uh, it includes uh, he, she, it, whatever I guess you'd like to be called. And uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I think we're increasingly seeing college campuses uh, bow to the political politically correct left uh, in terms of how they're uh, approaching these issues. And, uh, and Bill, you know, as a conservative and as a Christian, I, I you know, uh, my heart goes out to those who are struggling with gender dysphoria and, uh, and other challenges in their lives. But uh, the fact that you have major universities, uh, state-funded, taxpayer-funded universities like Virginia Tech, embracing this, uh, this kind of behavior, I think, um, you know, it, it raises questions about whether or not our tax dollars are being spent appropriately. And if uh, too much money is maybe going to this kind of project and not enough to the actual education and teaching of college students. Mm -hmm. You'd almost think at a school like Virginia Tech, they would reflect on it being the site of one of the most deadly school shootings in the nation. Well, that's right. Uh, so Penny Nance is the woman uh, from Concerned Women for America. Some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, her or her organization. They do great work. And so it was her son uh, who she took to orientation, and she witnessed this firsthand, and she wrote about this, and she came on the Daily Signal podcast to, to tell our listeners about uh, what the experience was like. And she made that point as well. She said this is the site of the, the deadliest uh, school shooting in America. It's also uh, a place where they uh, solemnly mark um, – those who have lost their lives because Virginia Tech is uh, a cadet school. So her son would eventually like to have a uh, career in the military. And so they, they have a memorial on campus dedicated to them. And she said that, uh, you know, uh, they have other plans uh, at Virginia Tech rather than honoring uh, those two uh, events or those, those legacy of the people who've, who've gone there before. And I think that that's, um, you know, just a testament to the kind of society we live in today. Uh, Virginia Tech, of course, is a public university. It's not a private university. So uh, as a Virginia resident, uh, my tax dollars help support that, that university. And it's also a science and math school. So not necessarily the kind of liberal uh, environment that you would expect from like a Berkeley or, or another college uh, where we tend to see this kind of behavior taking place place. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, maybe you would give me your understanding of Planned Parenthood's strategy. So, yeah, we have a situation where the Trump administration basically uh, set out some, some policies on what, uh, what organizations could and could not receive money for. Planned Parenthood gets $60 million a year from the federal government uh, as part of this, this uh, you know, Title X uh, arrangement. And Planned Parenthood decided that it would rather forego that money uh, because of its support for abortion. Uh, the Trump administration, of course, uh, this president has, has been clear about his pro-life views and the policies that he's implementing. And this administration has gone about uh, changing uh, government regulations to make sure that taxpayers are, and their money that they, I mean, this goes to the heart of what we were just talking about with universities. Taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for this type of uh, vile activity that, uh, that many of us uh, oppose. And it, I, I'd say, you know, it's, it's a, obviously a divisive issue, and it's, it's uh, one of those things that it seems that in this day and age it shouldn't even be controversial that uh, if, if it's against uh, 
my beliefs, and I don't want my tax dollars going to an organization like Planned Parenthood to support abortion, specifically abortion, uh, this should be not even a, a debate. Planned Parenthood has decided that it's not going to provide any health services as part of this program because it would rather forego the money over, this, uh, over their support of abortion. Now, the good news is here, Bill, there's no shortage of other health clinics that are able to take care of women and meet their needs. Planned Parenthood certainly uh, stepping aside in this case is not going to affect the care and the choices that that women have. Um, what it does mean is they will be out $60 million, and uh, they're going to, again, profess that abortion is the first and foremost uh, priority of that organization, despite what they might say publicly. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that the people that support abortion uh, will stop at nothing to help people get abortions, and women, young women get abortions. It seems like there would be private funding for that if well, they lost all the funding from the government. You're right, and and Planned Parenthood is an organization that uh, you know has something like 250 million dollars in, uh, in in revenue. So I mean, it is a, a tremendous money-making endeavor uh, for for them, unfortunately. And I think that that's sad. You see the number of lives lost each and every day, each year. Um, it is astonishing uh, that uh, the, the number of babies who whose lives are are taken because of Planned Parenthood and the the pursuit that it has. Um, why Why do we live in a culture uh, like this? Uh, I, I frankly sometimes I left, I'm left scratching my head because I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how uh, people can't have, can't value the sanctity of life. And I think it's unfortunate. I think it's a battle that we're going to be engaged in for, for a long time. We've made strides. Uh, the pro-life movement has made tremendous strides. I think the the science, uh, the technology is certainly on our side. Uh, when you uh, go into uh, the hospital or, or the doctor's office and you see the ultrasound and the, the baby's heartbeat and you hear it and, and you see the picture, I mean, it is just moving for so many people. And secondly, I think that the younger generation recognizes that uh, they're, they're not going to be brainwashed uh, the way that the previous generation was. I think in part because you have more access to information. You have programs like Faith Radio and the Daily Signal and others who are getting the truth out about uh, the horrors of abortion and the pain that it causes the women uh, who who somehow are you know um, manipulated, I think, by Planned Parenthood. And th- this is the only choice they have. There are alternatives, and, and we know that adoption is a choice. We we know that uh, oftentimes people can turn to other family members. I mean, so so Bill, there are a lot of uh, a lot of resources out there for for women. If you have people listening right now, I would just encourage them uh, to seek out uh, what those alternatives are. Planned Parenthood is not the place to turn. Mm-hmm. Rob, progressives, I know, are putting out a lot of policy proposals, and a lot of them have enormous price tags on them. Uh, what about the math regarding trying to ever pay for those? Well, we have a great new study from the Heritage Foundation, which puts this into perspective, because we, you have certainly heard a number of those proposals. In fact, we heard more about them, more proposals yesterday, uh, a new criminal justice reform plan from uh, from Senator Bernie Sanders. And uh, it doesn't seem that cost is ever a factor, Bill. I mean, this is just an endless <laughs> list of ideas that uh, when when you actually have to pay for them, uh, you, you begin to wonder how we as a country are going to afford it. And, and the reality is we are not going to be able to afford it, because you could tax the rich until, you know, the end of the day and make them all poor. And, and there would be, you know, still not enough money to, to cover the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and everything else that uh, you hear on the table. And and I think this is one of those things, though. I mean, we're in a process right now where we're going through a primary and everybody's trying to outdo one another with new new ideas. 
And, uh, and the fact is that eventually it's going to have to go through the congressional process. You're going to get a budget score on it, and there's going to be the hard reality that this is not something that's going to actually be feasible. Uh, I think there's going to probably be a lot of disappointed progressive activists who are sold on some of these ideas and think that it's a lot simpler to accomplish than uh, than maybe they realize. So uh, yes, uh, that is there is a there is a heavy price tag. And, and Bill, the other thing we have to rec- remember here is we are a nation that's deeply in debt. Uh, this is a pre- president who has made promises about cutting spending but has not delivered on it. So we're not in any better position uh, nearly three years into the Trump administration than we hope to be. Uh, In an economy where we have this tremendous growth, now is the time to be paying down our debt, not adding to it. And so, uh, you know, should we face an economic downturn in the future? I mean, this is only going to be more challenging to accomplish uh, this litany of Mm -hmm. ideas that you hear from the left. Mm -hmm. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. We'll go to a break, and then when we come back, lots more with Rob. Welcome back to the show. Rob Blue is my guest. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com, and you can uh, learn more about Rob and all of his brilliant staff that write um, at Daily Signal. Uh, Rob, what's going on with the Supreme Court and some of the Democratic senators? Um, what What is happening there? Well, there's a, there's a number of things happening, Bill. I mean, first of all, uh, going back to the long litany of ideas that you're hearing a lot of <laughs> right. ideas for court packing. Uh, so court packing has become quite popular in that uh, Pete Buttigieg has, has a proposal that would expand the Supreme Court to 15 members from its current nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you have many others who are continue to be frustrated about the confirmations of Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch and, uh, and want to uh, you know, take steps and in some cases maybe to impeach some justices uh, w- w- you know, were the votes available in, in the House and Senate to do so. So there's a number of implications for what will happen. I think there, uh, whoever the next president is, whether it be a re-election of Donald Trump or, or a, a new Democrat in the White House, they probably will have the opportunity to appoint uh, – you know, uh, two, maybe more seats. Uh, the, the justices are not getting any younger, let's face it. Uh, you have, you, you've had a number, you know, that President Obama, two that President Obama appointed, two that President Trump has appointed, and you have several others, both conservatives and liberals, who, who might be looking uh, toward retirement in the future. Um, if, and, and there's also health concerns. And so the Supreme Court is going to be a major factor, I think, in the minds of the American people as they, they cast their ballots, as it should be. Uh, the Supreme Court is increasingly plays a big role. You and I talk about the Supreme Court quite often in terms of the implications of the cases that it decides and their their influence on uh, public life in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was here in Minnesota yesterday and she got a pretty sizable crowd. I think about ten or twelve thousand showed up for her, and it seems like she's making this admission that she made a mistake. And how do you how do you analyze that, Rob? You know, how does she define her mistake? That she well, misrepresented herself, or she didn't tell the truth, or uh, wh- what do you see? Well, Bill, I think on the one hand, I mean, we're, we're not perfect human beings, and so we do all make mistakes. I think that it's 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 okay uh, to admit that you, you've made a mistake. I know that there are, are some who prefer not to apologize. Uh, I think the current occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and, and that's a, a tactic and a strategy that, uh, that some people take. I mean, the governor of Virginia, another, another example of, of somebody who's been defiant, and despite what seems obvious as a mistake to all the rest of us, uh, there are some who, who don't 
want to admit it. So when a politician actually does come forward, apologize, admit they've made a mistake, it can seem somewhat alarming because it's just not the culture that we seem to live in. In this case, I think that there are um, – it wasn't just a simple mistake. This was uh, something that was a big part of her, her academic life and career. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just a – checking the wrong box on a form, but it was it was actually something that, that played a significant had a significant influence, I think, in, in the positions that she was able to achieve uh, and uh, some of the roles that she uh, found herself in. So um, it's uh, it's a little bit more complicated than I think most uh, trivial mistakes. This one certainly was significant, and I think it's why you continue to hear her talking about it. Um, and uh, whether or not the Native American community ultimately forgives her for that and whether or not the American people feel that they can trust her, I think, is a question that uh, we'll see when people start to cast ballots. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's your read on the current economy right now? What do you think is the direction? I hear people say we're headed towards a rece- recession. Some people say, I kind of hope we get there for the sake of uh, ruining Donald Trump's chance of reelection. It's like, do you really want people to suffer? I don't know. What, what's your take on where the economy is? Well, I certainly hope we're not headed to a recession, yeah, although I, I think, you know, inevitably the market goes up and down. So, I mean, at some point, Bill, we're probably going to experience the bear market. I mean, I think that the course of history suggests that that's just a likely probability. Uh, of course, I have no no way of predicting it any more than you do. So we don't know if it'll happen in 2019 or 2020 or 2021 or sometime far into the future. But we do know that it will cause economic hardship for for Americans, for people across the globe. And I think that the president is right to sound alarm. I think it's encouraging to see him uh, floating policy ideas. Uh, Now is the time for Congress to come back and consider steps that it can take to hopefully provide a jolt and a boost to the U.S. economy. Uh, The latest idea seems to be a payroll tax cut, which would put a lot more money into the you know, pockets of uh, many middle-class Americans. Um, and the tax cut uh, already had a tremendous effect uh, in terms of spurring growth. Uh, deregulation has has been a big impact. But, uh, you know, there's there's more that we can certainly do in Washington to help, uh, to help ease that burden. Um, whether or not the Federal Reserve goes along with what the president is asking, I think, is um, a question that uh, we probably won't find the answer to anytime soon. It seems that Jerome Powell wants to maintain his independence. So I'm not sure that the president's lobbying is is going to necessarily help him in that regard Mm -hmm. what are you how do you assess the homeless situation in some of the major cities i mean it's really gotten much worse in the last several years it's terrible, Bill, and uh, it's really sad and unfortunate. I mean, particularly in so many of these liberal bastions, uh, San Francisco comes to mind because mm-hmm. it's a story that we've covered. My colleague Jared Stepman, uh, who's been on your program in the past, you know, has written about this. He's from that that area of California, and I think it's quite quite sad and troubling that uh, we find ourselves in a situation where one of the richest areas in the entire planet. Uh, has such a stark uh, contrast between those who are wealthy and living in multimillion-dollar homes and those who, you know, can't afford even uh, a small apartment um, and are living on the streets. And so I I don't know that um, this is an area where, where certainly I imagine there's some role for government, but I think this is a, a place where those civic organizations or churches and faith-based institutions can hopefully play a role and have an impact in improving the lives of those who are less fortunate. Um, ultimately, as our president at the Heritage Foundation often says uh, a job is a, a wonderful thing and a great way to give somebody a purpose and meaning in life. And hopefully those who find themselves in a predicament of homelessness uh, can get back on their feet and, and find something productive to have the means to, to afford a better life.
Yeah, I mean, San Francisco is probably just the city of extremes. I mean, because they've got so many billionaires, and yet some of the homeless problems, it almost looks like a third world country when you look at some of the pictures. It certainly does. I mean, we, with all the focus we've had on, on Baltimore recently, which is obviously much closer uh, here to Washington, D.C., I think sometimes we forget about those uh, West Coast cities that tend to you know, get, get a lot of focus and attention. Seattle comes to mind. The Heritage Foundation just did an event in Seattle and confronted some of the very challenges that are, are affecting the low-income community there. So Seattle, again, another city that you think of a lot of the, the technology and the excitement and the, uh, and the you know, glamour uh, and glitz that come with, with those types of worlds, and you forget about the people who are less fortunate and struggling to survive uh, in an area where the housing market is probably – Priced homes out of their out of their range. I mean, it's it's challenging for young people in the Washington D.C. area, and I thought it was challenging when I first moved to D.C. And I can't imagine what it is today. So you know, it's uh, it's tough, Bill. It's uh, tough for people to to find the means to be able to uh, to do that, especially when they're they're down on their luck and maybe confronting other challenges with mental health or alcoholism or drug abuse. And and that's where I think. You know, it's so important for community organizations to step up and, and help. Why, you know, here at um, at the Heritage Foundation, we're so proud to work with Central Union Mission uh, here in Washington, D.C., collaborate with them on projects. Uh, we've told their story at the Daily Signal. And I think that, uh, you know, if, if we can do a better job of bolstering those types of organizations, uh, again, many of them are, are driven by their faith and their, their Christian values. Uh, I think that that's the direction we need to, to head, because as we've seen time and time again, the government is not the answer uh, that, that we always have hoped it would be. I mean, we've had a war on poverty for over 50 years in this country, and we're still struggling uh, to overcome some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. Rob, isn't, isn't the whole idea of legalizing drugs it, doesn't that just sort of feel like a complete loss of common sense? Yeah, it does to me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it certainly doesn't seem like a, a direction that we'd want to head. Uh, now, we've seen in many cases uh, states, uh, localities uh, do this with marijuana. We've also seen some of the consequences of that. Uh, we're doing some, some very interesting research on some of the effects, uh, the secondary effects on in Colorado. Uh, and uh, we've seen, uh, in many cases, negative implications of what's happened there uh, in terms of the lives that it's ruined, the, um, the challenges like, you know, driving under the influence. Uh, is, uh, alcohol now seems secondary to marijuana in that state in terms of the ch- some of the challenges it's facing. And uh, this is happening all over the country. So it's, it's uh, you know, we've seen the, the, the havoc that uh, the opioids have um, wreaked on so many communities in this country. And, and I hate just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see other people becoming addicted. And unfortunately, that's what, uh, what happens in cases when you do legalize these drugs. Mm-hmm. We just have about a minute left, Rob. And the Iowa State Fair ended, I think, yesterday, and it looks like uh, Joe Biden and Mayor Pete sort of came out as some of the top two winners. Yeah, well, and uh, of course, a new uh, new TV ad in Iowa today from uh, from former Senator, Vice President Joe Biden. So, uh, you know, there, we're starting to see more activity on that front. Of course, we're coming out of summer, and this is the period of time when Americans, uh, if they're, they're not already engaged, they better believe they're going to be engaged. Uh, the next Democratic debate is coming up uh, on September uh, 12th and 13th, I believe. I think we're up to, what, about 10 people who've qualified, Bill? So, I, I think, mean, yeah. the, sta- the stage won't be as crowded as the first two rounds of debates, but it's still going to be a pretty packed stage. Yeah, n- indeed. Rob, thank you so much for doing the show. It's always a delight to talk to you, and I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Bill.
Bill. It's great to be with you. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I love these little God moments. I'm re- reviewing uh, my guest, Heather Holloman, and her, um, on her website. And her favorite uh, psalm is Psalm 16. And before I even knew that, I've got the verse Psalm 16, 8, ready to go, just to share with you today, which is, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That is Psalm 16, 8. And I did not know that was Heather's favorite psalm, but she's written a bunch of books and she's a blast. And I looked at the reviews on Amazon of her latest book and she's got like all five stars. I don't get it. Well, I get it because she's really good. Heather, welcome. It's so good to be on your show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're good. Lighting, you're that lighting was up. a kind introduction. Well, you're, <laughs> Go you're, ahead, sorry. you're lighting up the scoreboard with your new book. People love it. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. They don't have to like it. Well, it's, it's, you know, they like it because I just think God's word is powerful. It's a story of transformation. I just think we need more of that kind of, you know, stories, stories of God's word really powerfully changing people. It's kind of irresistible, don't you think? Totally. And the book is called Chosen for Christ, Stepping into the Life You've Been Missing. Yes, that's the latest. That's right. Yeah. And, and let's talk about this book. Um, we're, have we veered off course? What's the, what's God's plan for me? How do I know? Am I doing his plan? Help me. Well, I wrote Chosen for Christ because I just couldn't get over it. You know, Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. You know, I love how you said Psalm 16 is my favorite Psalm, but if I were to choose a single book of the Bible to just land on, it was Ephesians. And I was writing a Bible study for Moody called Included with Christ. And I just couldn't get past that verb that God chose us in him before the creation of the world and the repetition of that verb that God is a God who chooses us. And at the time, I was dealing with so much rejection, you know, a 44-year-old woman living in rejection still, you know, when other people got awards or promotions or, you know, these different things, you know, even different um, manuscripts that may be rejected. Mm -hmm. And I just was feeling the weight of rejection. And I just began to explore that verb that God chooses us so I don't need to live in rejection. So that began my exploration of what it means that we're chosen yeah. for Christ, which now, is powerful. Go yeah. ahead. Heather, you're so polite because I want to talk about seated with Christ, not chosen for Christ. So, I mean, That's I want what to. That's what I thought. That's yeah, what I thought. But I was you're like, so. I'm going to go with what. But no, no, no. You're said. so polite. Yeah. You didn't correct me. So, uh, thank you for uh, being so gracious. But I do want to talk about Seated with Christ. You know, when you've got books that are similar uh, in titles, um, I I just made a very easy mistake. So I really want to talk about Seated with Christ, Living Freely in a Culture of Comparison. That's the book I want to talk about. Yes. Yes. That's my first book, but that's actually the book that people read the most. It's the one that sort of became really widely read. I, I speak on that the most. Yes, that is a book, another verb in Ephesians 2, And that was just um, a summer day in late July. I was reading Ephesians 2, where it says God raised us up with Christ and seated us 
with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that passage and I thought, what in the world does it mean that I'm seated with Christ? And it's a past tense verb. So I was like, okay, something is true about me now that I am seated with Jesus. And at the time, I did not live like someone who had a seat at the greatest table with the greatest king. I was living like I was fighting for a seat at the table. (laughs) And that day I just made a list of all the tables. I was waiting for an invitation for this special seat. But Ephesians 2 said that I already had a seat at the table my heart was longing for. And it began to heal all the jealousy and comparison I had in my heart. Aren't we all trying to, at some level, seek for worth and approval? And it all leads to pretty empty things, doesn't it? Well, it does. And it, it was really, it felt like my soul was dying inside because I knew Jesus, but something was missing. And it, it's like that quote from psychologist Lauren Slater, where she says, I ache for something I cannot name. I just was walking around like, I know Jesus, but why aren't I experiencing him? Why do I live in so much comparison and jealousy, waiting for my real life to begin? Mm-hmm. And it had something to do with me not understanding that I w- already had this place of honor with Jesus. So, Heather, why were you why were you s- struggling with the comparison thing? I mean, you're this incredibly bright, confident, smart woman, and that yet you're admitting to having these comparison issues. Well, I think, um, you know, I had luckily began to raise my children before social media hit, you know, early in the 2000s. And I would say that um, a lot of it was social media, getting to see every single day everyone else's perfect life. And it was getting really hard. I was like, oh, well, why aren't my girls in the Nutcracker? Or why aren't we having a tropical vacation? I mean, every single post, I began to feel worse and worse about my life. And I also think that it's part of our sin nature. I mean, one one thing I take great comfort in is that Eve was in paradise, right? Mm-hmm. And Satan was able to tempt her that something was missing, that she was missing something. And Eve, you know, we have all these things and Satan's able to say, yeah, but you don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have this. So combination of just my sin nature, the good old sin nature, and then also the rise of social media that breeds a soul-corrupting, you know, comparison game. So I, I love that this book, I know you use a lot of personal stories and, and insights, and because you, you do tell about your own journey, going from fighting for a seat at the table to realizing that you already have a seat there. Yeah, the story is, the, the book is really vulnerable about the three ways I fought to belong, and it was killing me. And I know you have listeners that struggle with this, so it was the three A's. I thought achievement, affluence, and appearance. Mm-hmm. So if I achieve more, if I look beautiful, and if only we could have more money, then life would really begin for me. And that day in my journal, I thought, no, no, no. Seated people, for example, I did appearance first. Seated people don't worry about their appearance anymore because seated. if you're seated with Christ, you're adoring Jesus. And I looked at just Psalm 35, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So seated people adore. They just adore Jesus. They don't worry about their appearance anymore. They're already at the table with the beautiful people. You're with Jesus. You're with other believers. <laughs> you know, I just thought, yeah. I don't need to worry about this. Right. And the second one, I just tell the story of me really wanting wealth all my life, like really wanting to be at the table with the wealthy. 
And I began to look at, you know, seated people don't worry about that pursuit of wealth affluence because they know they have access to all the riches of God's kingdom. And I just wrote in my journal, I have access. And I just began to collect New Testament verses that really sink deeply into my soul. Like, for example, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus really began to make me think, okay, God, I'm seated with Jesus. He's going to provide everything I need. Or think, you know, where Paul says, you know, God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So I really began to think, okay, God, I can trust you and I don't need to fight for the table of wealth. Now, the problem is a lot of my friends continue to accumulate more and more. I mean, vacation homes, travel, all of this, where my husband and I raise support working with um, crew, you know, we're in full-time vocational ministry. So I felt like, okay, I'm getting poorer. They're getting richer. And God just made me realize this beautiful quote I found um, from the Hayden Planetarium. And it just says, all seats provide equal viewing of the universe. And I called the Hayden Planetarium guide and the media director told me that when children go to a planetarium in New York City, they all rush in and they all want to sit in the front row in an arena where there are no best seats. And so they all think there's this best seat. And the guide has to say, children, all seats provide equal viewing of the universe. No matter where you sit, you won't miss any part of the show. And I just felt really, I started crying. And I was like, I'm sorry, I have to go. Because I was like, no matter where we sit, because we're already seated with Jesus. So no matter what the circumstances of our life look like, we won't miss anything. Because right where we are, we have equal access to God's power, his provision, his love. And it really kind of just set me free, just knowing that, you know, God's going to provide everything I need. Every, you know, he, and remember, Paul is most likely writing from a Roman prison. So he's not enjoying, you know, wealth. And yet here he is knowing that he has everything he needs. And the last one is achievement. And I love the end of Ephesians 2. That paragraph says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I thought, why am I comparing my life? God's ordained the fruit from my life. I'm seated with Christ. I'm just going to live out the good works he's prepared. So all of those three, it just set me free. So instead of achieving, I just abide with Christ and bear the fruit he's ordained for my life. So Heather, I love this idea of being securely seated people. So let's just say we're now securely seated people at the table, which should make every listener feel fantastic. Um, How do we then change how we live our life? I mean, could we deal with sin differently? Can we, do we grieve our losses differently? Yeah. How do we do do life better? Well, your seat is totally secure. That is what I didn't understand. Like that what is so powerful is if you look at why Jesus is seated, and this is like deeply theological, which I love, there are no seats in the early tabernacle. The priest was never allowed to sit down because to sit down would mean that the work of atonement was finished. And so when you read in Hebrews 10 that Jesus is our great high priest and he sits down at the right hand of God, it's because no sacrifice for sin is needed ever again. And I was like, Lord, you have you have met the requirement. You know, Jesus has secured our place at the table for all time. His righteousness is applied to us. So that means when you deal with sin, 
you're dealing with your sin with Jesus. You guys are looking at at your sin together. Like imagine his arm around you, like, okay, we're going to deal with this together. So I'm able to say to the Lord, is there anything in my life that doesn't please you? But at no point am I not at the table anymore. My seat is there and we're we're looking at our sin together has made all the difference in how I deal with sin in my life and confession. And then because of that place of security, you're really set free from self-consciousness and worry about yourself. And you're able to just move out to love people better and to not compare yourself. I mean, comparison will destroy your friendships. It'll destroy your family. So when you're secure in your seat, you're just able to love people and not be trying to, you know, one up them or be better than them. So but you really operate from a place of strength when you are secure in your seat. Yes. Now your That's right. your your book has four portions. Take your seat, seated and set free, seated and surrendered and seated and sent. I feel like we've chatted about the take the seat, seated and be set free, but maybe the seated and surrendered part, what does that mean? Well, once I was seated with Christ, I thought, you know what? There are ways you can ask yourself some really good questions to kind of enter more deeply into the crucified life. Now, my life first, besides, you know, Psalm 16 and Ephesians 2, I love Galatians 2.20. I just recite it as I go about my day. Oh, me too. And it's this. Yeah, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when I'm seated with the Lord, you know, I'm in my seat. And I just began to write in my journal four hard questions that helped me move deeply into surrender. And the first question was, do I really believe that knowing Jesus is better than anything? What is better than knowing him? Because that will reveal, you know, idols in your life. Like, Mm -hmm. is is knowing Jesus better than anything? Okay, the second question, oh, this killed me. Hold on. Will I live? Okay. This look, I know if you're in the car listening, this is, this is actually the question that helped set me free from, I was still battling depression and anxiety for years and, and really resisting my life. And then this is the question that I really believe the Holy Spirit just gave, continues to give me to this day. And here it is. Will you live the life God asks you to? And then after that question, you need to say, even if, okay, even if your worst fears come upon you. So I am married with children. I had to say to the Lord, I will live the life you ask me to, even if my worst fears come upon me. Does Jesus own your life enough that you would even surrender your husband and children to him? I mean, how deep does this surrender go? And I would cry and cry. And I would say, okay, Lord, I will live the life you ask me to, even if it means I'm poor, even if it means I suffer. You know, I I have to get to that point where I'm like, you own my life. I've been bought at a price. I'm honoring you with my life. And it's actually that freedom to surrender to the Lord. Everything else in your life just becomes icing on the cake because you've surrendered your life. So that was powerful. But the third question is, and I think everyone should ask themselves this question because a lot of times in the church, we forget the importance of confession and repentance. So this question I ask myself, is there anything in my life that doesn't please God? Now, I was taught, like, if you don't feel close to God, if there's that barrier there, if you feel like I'm reading the word, I'm not, I'm not feeling connected, I like to say, okay, God, have I put up a barrier between us? I'm still at the table. I'm still seated. But is there anything in my life that doesn't please you? Because Galatians 5 is clear that you can keep in step with the Spirit 
or you can walk according to the flesh. And so when I ask the Lord that question, I, I stay quiet with my Bible and I wait to see if there's anything that comes to mind. You know, I've stopped watching certain TV shows. I've, I've turned away from certain books. I've ended toxic relationships. Like if the, the Holy Spirit brings anything up, that's when you just say, Lord, I love First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I do that. Okay. So that's the third question. Are you ready for the fourth question? Mm-hmm. And this relates to the book I'm literally writing right now that I'm working on literally at my desk right now. The fourth question. I think this we'll is de- the fourth question. I think we'll deal yeah, with that for ahead. the break. We do need to take a short break, but that's the ultimate Let's cliffhanger. Nobody's going anywhere. Because we want to yeah, hear so what okay. Heather's fourth question is. We'll be right back. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. We're ch- chatting about a book she wrote called Seated with Christ, Living Freely in a Culture of Comparison. And she has raised four brilliant questions. Uh, believing knowing him is better than anything. Will you live the life God asks you? And then she inserted the words, even if, dot, dot, dot. And then, is there anything in your life that doesn't please God? That's question. We are now on the fourth question, and we're all waiting to find out what it is. <laughs> Waiting for the mystery. Okay, I love this question, and it's just this. Am I available to be God's spokesperson? And I know that's a weird question, but it was really a question about, am I available to be someone who God can send anywhere to anyone, and I will proclaim Him? And, you know, I know Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit will come on us, will be His witnesses, and, you know, you read in 2 Corinthians 5, that we're Christ's ambassadors, or you can look at Luke 5, you know, that we're fishers of men. But I really had to say to the Lord, okay, I'm available. You can send me wherever you want. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go to Africa. No, the Lord said, stay. And I was in my simple, ordinary neighborhood. And, you know, in we live in Pennsylvania, so I was just like, Lord, seriously, this is the least glamorous location you could ever send me to. I mean, when I open my front door, I can smell horse poop. I mean, I'm in a farm, semi-rural community, and I was like, Lord, are you sure this is not what I thought you meant when I was available to you? But a beautiful journey happened in my life when I agreed with God, I will just be available And an enormous kind of neighborhood ministry opened up. Eight of my neighbors prayed to receive Christ. I just began to see my role in the English department at Penn State as just being available to whoever, you know, needed me for anything to be an agent of blessing and proclamation. But the reason why that question is so hard is so many people I know are so busy, they don't have any space for anyone they can't be available to anyone because they are life. They are just running, running, running. And so that year of my life, I just gathered in my whole life. I canceled so many unnecessary appointments. And I thought, you know what, God, you have brought me to this neighborhood. Acts 17, he searches out the exact places where we live. Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I knew God had called me to my neighborhood one mile radius. So imagine a one mile radius around your life. The question is, are you available to those people? 
for God to use you in their lives. And what happened is, is I thought all these supernatural things started happening, Bill, neighbors would knock on the door and they would say, are you available? And I would laugh. Yes, I'm available. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I started just these initiatives to bless. So if you imagine if you're listening and you have like a draw a little one mile circle around your location where you live, where God has put you, I thought, well, what do these people need? And at the time, our community was deeply lacking physical fitness because all the kids were playing so many video games. Nobody was walking to school. And the Lord just gave me some really cool ideas. I mean, I don't take credit for anything, but I was like, okay, let's start a walk to school campaign and a neighborhood fitness club. I had 50 people at my neighborhood fitness group. I mean, the local news came out. They were like, what are you guys doing? I was like, I don't know. We're just the neighborhood. But I was available to the Lord to gather people. I mean, my husband's flipping pancakes for everyone on Saturday morning. And naturally, we began to just talk about the Lord. So the last chapter of my book is called Seated and Sent. And the new book I'm writing now is called Sent, that verb that you're sent exactly where you are. And my evangelism strategy at the time was just to talk to people as if they were already Christians, because I'm a really bad evangelist. I can't think about, like, I'm not smart enough on the, on the, in the moment to think of, like, good arguments. So I would literally walk outside with my neighbors, and I would say, hey, guys, I just read something really cool in the Bible. Can I tell you? Nobody has said no. I've been doing this for 12 years. Nobody has told me to stop talking about Jesus. And I turned to my neighbor, who was a Hindu woman, and she, I said to her, does it bother you that I talk so much about Jesus? And she said, no, I would like to hear everything you have to say about him. Well, when she understood the gospel, she prays to receive Christ. She leads her children to the Lord and her husband, and now they are this force of godly influence in our community. And it was all because I was like, all right, Lord, I'm seated with you. I am sent. I am available. So that's the story of the last question. It's really a great story, Heather. I mean, I'm just loving this. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm loving well, it. Well, it's challenging now. I mean, Ash and I, my husband, we really believe we're sent. And so after all those kids grew up, you know, they've all gone to college. We prayed for for two years. Okay, God, how do you want to send us to our neighborhood? What can we do? So one thing we've been doing with adults that doesn't take a lot of time is Ash built a fire pit so we could have everyone over for s'mores. Or we started a soup and story ministry where every other Monday I make a big pot of soup and I just tell the neighbors, okay, come out. Well, there's just two couples now. I'm like, okay, just pop in after work. For, you know, I'll have the soup. And they all say, well, what can I bring? And I said, just a story about your day. So we call it soup and story. And I love it. I mean, the kids aren't there. It's everyone's out, except now I'm with these couples in my neighborhood. And I'm like, okay, what do people need? They need to eat and they're lonely and they need, we need to share stories. So that's kind of the latest initiative. And it's so simple. And you're not doing anything too out of the ordinary. And you're simply doing what's in your hand right in front of you. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, my husband taught me that. He said, Heather, you're exhausting yourself. Stop doing things for people and do things with people. In other words, he was like, what are you already doing? Let's just invite all the neighbors into what is already happening in our lives because we were raising two girls. I was teaching at Penn State. So I was already walking to school. I was already making pancakes every Saturday. I was already exercising at night. You know, gathering 50 neighbors to go on a walk. 
I was already taking a neighborhood walk. So it never, I never was exhausted because, you know, you may be, listeners may be listening and they're like, I don't have time for ministry. I don't have time to enter into people's lives. Well, let me tell you this. You have to go to the grocery store. I was like, all right, my neighbor who has no time, I know she has to go grocery shopping. So one month I was like, look, let's go grocery shopping together. And that's how I'm going to get to spend time with you. So you can make it work with your life to be involved in the lives of other people. But that was part of what God taught me through Ephesians 2, that we're seated with him. And then he sends us out on a rescue mission for people. And it's all because you are securely seated with him and empowered to go do this simple work that God has put before you. Yes, I am no longer trying to make a name for myself, praise God. I mean, seated people have tons of energy because they are not trying to prove themselves to anyone. They Mm -hmm. are already at the greatest seat, so there's no fight to belong anymore. Heather, this is awesome. Now, is there anything besides buying your books we can get instant access to? Do you have a blog or do you have a a Bible app or anything we should jump on? Yes. Well, I'm so excited because I'm like, Lord, what's the next thing? How can I reach more people and I got really excited because I started a podcast called The Verb. Oh, they're not going to listen to that because they listen to my show. Yeah, don't listen to mine. Just listen to Bill's. Thank but you. I also you. have, I have HeatherHolloman.com. I blog daily um, at HeatherHolloman.com. It, so, and you can even sign up for a daily email. I have an author Facebook page, I'm doing Instagram, that right now. Twitter. Go find me. I would love to. I'm doing that right you. now. Do it. And then um, I, I, have a new book coming out um, in October, next October in a year, and it's going to be called Scent. It's the final verb that I'm looking at with Moody. So you got seated, guarded, chosen, and now sent, and included in there somewhere. That's awesome. And you well, are right every day. You, That's crazy. Thank you for coming and doing the show, and thank you for your energy and your enthusiasm and what you've shared with us today. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you, Bill. And I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about chosen next time. Yeah, we didn't get a ch- chance to talk about me very much either. But that's okay. I know. Because you're the guest. I'm so sorry. All right. Yeah, Thanks, I Heather. should have asked you questions, though. Okay, <laughs> bye. Heather Holloman's been my guest. Go to heatherholloman.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.